facts, fibs, and fairy tales. Not to sidebar it too much at this point, because there's way more sidebars later. This hot piece of ass, apparently. Get it. That it just, like, it just exploded. I've, like, never seen jizz like this. She was like, oh, you're not supposed to sleep over on the first date. I was like, yeah, fair enough. But did you ever see her again? Or was that, was that it? That was last night. It was like an audience participation sort of deal. And, like, you know me. Any attention I can get, I'm going to fucking take. Yeah. Like, that's my currency, his attention. (laughs) Welcome to Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales. My name is Matt Sweet, and I am your factual fairy today. I hope you're all having a great day. Uh, This is the continuation of Matt Sweet Cold Reads, that memoir he wrote that one time. Uh, (laughs) Which is, you know, a really funny, weird experience as I... I think I say every time I record by myself, because I'm weird at recording by myself, but um, yeah, it's weird to go back to, to this writing, just because it was such a very specific time in my life, and it kind of uh, all sort of came together to really help remind me of the lessons I've already learned in my life, uh, and sort of going back and, and writing these sort of tales down kind of helped me create a focus for myself um, and that's maybe what I need right now um, <laughs> what I'm gonna read you today uh, is part three of the book which is uh, <laughs> that time I learned how to succeed at work as told through two stories um, which is funny given that I'm relatively recently single and also very unemployed <laughs> what a fun chapter to be reading um, But, you know, I think, again, it is about sort of taking stock of the information you've already learned in life um, and trying to make some sense of what is yet to come. So that's kind of where I'm at today. Uh, The quick little update, it's it's been a minute since I've recorded something. Um, I'm hoping to get home for a visit and hang out with my grandma, which I'm really excited about. Um, I've been lifting weights. I say that as if uh, I've been doing a lot, but I've done it three whole times uh, in sort of in a pattern, which is very exciting. Of course, I'm about to leave my home for a week, so I won't be doing that, and then the pattern will be ruined, uh, and then I don't know if I get to say that I, I lift weights. And also, let's not get crazy. I'm not like being a bro. I just like, I have these cute little dumbbells, and I like, ooh, do some cute, like, ooh, arm curls, mmm. Um, <laughs> I've also started running up some steps in the morning, um, mostly because I'm just sort of losing my mind, spending all my time in my apartment by myself, uh, and so I just, I need to be out of it, and running up the steps near my apartment seems to be a, a place to dump some energy, uh, that is a little bit more positive than just, uh, drinking vodka and getting really high. <laughs> Anyway, that concludes the cute little life update for Matt Sweet. Um, And here we go. I'm going to start cold reading, and uh, we'll see how it goes. One of the things that I'm hoping to not fuck up is on the podcast, I've always tried to disguise people's names, uh, and in the memoir, I don't do that. Um, So I am going to change a name here, and and hopefully I don't fuck it up. If I do, you may hear a bleep or two. (laughs) All right, here we go. This is... That time I learned how to succeed at work, as told through two stories. When I was younger, I dated a guy I met on Valentine's Day, while I was hanging out with my first ex-boyfriend. 
We were at Woody's, which is the casual bar in Toronto's queer village. And over the years, many a man has met a new romance there. On this particular evening, it was packed with hungry gays looking for love or lust. Bob, (laughs) Bob, I'm going with Bob. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. Bob approached me like a steaming hot garbage truck. His hands were all over me and his tongue was in my throat within about 10 minutes of introducing himself. What I later learned was that he too was at the bar with his ex-boyfriend and was drunk as only a 24-year-old Italian can get. Very. Over the course of the following weeks, I convinced this tall, handsome man that despite his resistance, we should date and eventually be like, for real, boyfriends. Some historical context for this relationship. I had just gotten out of a year and a bit with a man who I adored, but who, through a series of complex issues, was not really able to be the bottom of my dreams. While we were charmingly perfect for each other in a variety of ways, we simply didn't have much sex. In the end, I had done the worst of things and stuck through a Christmas holiday with the family, all well knowing that at the end of it I would break up with him. If at some point in the future this seems to be a good idea to you, stop what you're doing, call your partner, and break up with them now. Don't wait. The post-holiday breakup is the fucking worst. So there I was, freshly single, horny, and I had spent Valentine's Day with my first ex-boyfriend and his new boyfriend. I may not have been in the best emotional framework to make decisions, but I am the kind of guy who sees someone I want and chases after them until they are mine. Or they enter witness protection. In this case, Bob was a hung Italian who wanted to fuck all the time, and he was exactly what I needed. Of course, it was a bit bit troublesome in that he was a top and I was a top, but if nothing, I'm adaptable. So I put on my bottom hat and got to work. For a while, it was great. I was having the volume of sex I wanted, I got to tell him how to live his life like the boss I am, and I was getting into the idea of being a full-time bottom for the second time in my life. Of course, my challenge is that I don't do casual, so even though it might have made more sense for us to just be fuck buddies, I don't generally understand how to make that work. Instead, I successfully browbeat him into dating me, mainly because of drugs. The day he made it official was rainy. He had gone out clubbing with his buddies and dropped a bunch of MDMA. Dropped? Is that what the kids call it? I don't know what the kids of today are doing drug-wise. And I didn't know what they were doing then either. Either way, it was five in the morning, raining, and my doorbell was ringing like crazy. My roommate was pissed, and I stumbled out of bed, only to discover my almost boyfriend soaked to the gills, vibrating, and incredibly upset. His voice was raw with emotion, and I couldn't help but make it worse when I refused to let him in. He said, I was dancing, and all these guys were hovering around, and I was looking at them, and I didn't want them. And I said, uh, okay. (laughs) I was very eloquent and coherent, obviously. I know I said I don't want anything serious, but like, I was there, and they were there, but they weren't you, and I want to be with you. I see, was my callous and non-committal response. You can't just say that, I want you. He tried to kiss me, and I stepped back. I'd love to talk this, uh, t- I'd love to talk about this when you aren't high, Bob. How can I know this is real otherwise? It's real, I swear it's real. Go home, go home and sleep. Call me when you wake up. When I closed the door in his face, I'd love to tell you that I had a maniacal grin and steepled fingers because obviously my nefarious plan to convince a man to love me had worked out. Quite the contrary, actually. I felt conflicted because while I had feelings for this man, I wasn't sure if they were the feelings that ought to be part of a meaningful relationship. 
This was in direct conflict with my deep desire to be loved and to have a human in my life who picks me for all the parts of me. As I'm sure you can imagine, the powerful need to feel love beat out my questionable feelings. Over the next few months, I pushed Bob to level up relationship-wise. He introduced me to his family, and as the first boyfriend to meet the parents, this was a huge step for him. For me, being the homosexual meeting the parents of the eldest Italian male, it was a bit more terrifying. They have an excavation company, which is a very good way to have many places to hide my body after the inevitable murder. Of course, meeting the parents was not nearly as bad as it could have been. The father, like every father I've ever met, was essentially silent. Beyond a crushing grip when he shook my hand, there was almost nothing else from him for the duration of my time with Bob. Mother Angela, on the other hand, was an entirely different story. She was nothing but kind to me. We certainly had our struggles, but through it all, she did her best to accept not just me, but her son's gayness. Over the course of a year, Bob fell more and more in love with me, while I progressively fell out of love with him. And that is what I've come to view as my magic power. I take those who have no interest in a relationship and show them exactly why they might want one. Poor Bob, he was no exception. The more he loved me, the more I realized just how much he wasn't the one for me. And towards the end, I was waiting for something to happen that I could use as a tool to end it. Isn't that the lamest thing? Instead of using my voice and declaring my needs, I waited for whatever the opposite of a miracle is to come along. Even as I reflect on this whole chapter of my life, I feel gross. Life is about learning, I suppose. And while I would never do that now, having to acknowledge that I was that guy makes me feel a bit like a monster. Don't be gross, people. Ripping off a band-aid is definitely better than leaving it on until it gets gnarly and covered in grime. Ultimately, I was fortunate, and the universe provided an escape route. Bob was young and horny, and one day while hanging out with his ex-boyfriend, apparently Bob's dick fell into this man's mouth, and he was powerless to stop it. When Bob told me he was so viscerally upset that he was legitimately trembling with emotion. He hated himself, he hated having to have that conversation with me, and he hated even more that I refused to forgive him. We were in my kitchen, and he was begging me to take him back, to acknowledge that it wasn't the end of it all. I found myself trying to convince myself that this was good for him, that he needed to have consequences for his actions. I was obviously doing a good thing here, for him. Of course, you and I both know that I was spewing bullshit. This was about me, and my need to escape a relationship that had gone much further than it ought to have. Don't get me wrong, it isn't like I felt nothing ever for the man. He's a great guy in a lot of ways. But we didn't have a lot of parallel life experiences or approaches that would help us forge a long-lasting bond. So there I stood as my tall, handsome ex-boyfriend wept, and I said no over and over and over again. The point of telling you this story is to show you the price of staying silent. When we allow ourselves to spare others' feelings, we cause a detriment to our own. It is one thing to tell a white lie to be kind. It is entirely another to lie to ourselves about our own happiness and when we need to experience it. Poor Bob, despite all his flaws, didn't deserve a cold and distant Matt Sweet. He deserved someone who loved him just as fiercely as he was loving me. It may please you to know that in the time since, Bob has found precisely this kind of partner. Friends, don't be an asshole like me. Be bold and speak loudly. So now that you all think I'm a dirtbag, let me tell you about that time I got some advice that has ensured I will never shut up again. It was just after John and I had broken up, two days into my new job at Decor and More. 
I had just started my new life and was still riding high in that post-depression buzz of normality. I was doing my best to dive into this entirely new kind of job and soak up as much information as I possibly could. The job required that we develop designs for a variety of corporate events with the goal of keeping them engaging, fresh, and fun. I was sitting in my first ever design meeting trying to sort out who was who and what exactly each person around the table was responsible for. It was mayhem. Ideas were flying from all of the people regardless of their particular job title, and I spent most of the meeting silently trying to keep up with notes. In the meeting was the company's founder, Miss Leslie Bell. She's a truly remarkable woman who is one of those forces of nature that wander the world. On my second day at the company, she said something that would forever change my perspective. It would also be this shifted perspective that led to future, shall we say, challenges between Leslie and myself. That's the problem with these moments of brilliance. Sometimes you can't predict just how they might come back to bite you in the ass. So we are wrapping up the meeting and there are a million ideas in the room. Leslie Bell, this big woman with lacquered nails and rosy cheeks, pins me to my chair with her gaze. Matt, you haven't said anything this entire meeting. I want to know what your thoughts are. Every pore in my body released a bucket of sweat right then. You know some people get scared, they pee a little? I do that, but with sweat. So sitting in my own fresh puddle, I respond, Uh, well, uh, it's, uh, my, uh, second day and I just... I felt like the experts in this room uh, would know more than I would. <laughs> Leslie got this look on her face as if I had just killed her dog. It took her a moment to put together the words before she said, Matt, I am paying you for your opinion. If we didn't want your ideas, why would we pay you to be here? Never stay silent because you think your idea is less than someone's, someone else's. <laughs> like before, I was shook. Sometimes someone says just the exact right thing and it gets under your skin and makes your entire body buzz. The more I thought about her words, the more free I became. The people who employ me are doing so because of my brain, not to fill a space at meetings. Of course, it started in just the professional realm, but over time it has seeped out into the rest of my existence as well. Just because sometimes the message is hard or painful doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. Often the most powerful conversations that leave the most room for growth start in a painful place. I took this message and now do my utmost to be honest. Not in a cruel way, but in a way that means I try to stand up and speak when something is broken or wrong. I suspect this has exhausted all of my employers and many of my friends, but I would rather at least try for change than avoid making waves. To be honest, I was always mouthy, but now it's for a cause. <laughs> oh, what a weird, weird man I am. So that's uh, part three or four. Uh, of There Is No Secret, How to Be a Fucking Unicorn. Um, yeah, so that's this week's little cold read. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to throw me an email or a, a Instagram message if you want to have some thoughts or want to tell me to shut the fuck up. I'll hear that too. Um, yeah, that's it. I hope you're having a great Friday or whatever day it is when you hear this. All the very best from your factual fairy, Matt Sweet. Bye! <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, listeners. If you want to connect with me, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at FactsFibsFairy or on Facebook or Instagram at FactsFibsAndFairyTales or you can reach out by email at FactsFibsAndFairyTales at gmail.com. When you get home, I would like you to masturbate. <laughs>